Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. Doug, it's a good thing we are the only daily podcast for you out there because stuff's changing. There's there's moving parts everywhere. There's a, we're already two rumors removed from yesterday's show. That's right. I mean, news is flying everywhere, and the only way to really stay on top of it on a day-to-day basis as we head into this draft is to uh, keep it locked in here on Locked On Hornet. Subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, follow us on Twitter because we're bouncing around rumors there, discussing things there before the show and after the show as well. Live draft special, by the way, 7.30 p.m. on Thursday night, youtube.com forward slash Locked On Hornets. You want to make sure you're subscribed to us on YouTube for updates on that. But we've got some great guests lined up, including our friend Nada Edwards, plus Colin Hoggard going to join us, and Adam Chin from Baseline Buzz, and Steve Bob Forrest, who I'm trying to get on the show either tomorrow or Thursday uh, with his thoughts on what the Hornets should do with this pick. He's a writer for AtTheHive.com and, of course, putting together those hilarious videos, um, the the breakdowns. We played uh, Dennis Smith's breakdown. Uh, go check those out on AtTheHive.com. Okay, lots to get to. Let's get into it. First, uh, draft news piece, rumor piece, whatever you want to call it, came a little early yesterday. Chad Ford reporting, or not reporting, but doing his latest mock draft, and he has Malik Monk slipping to the Hornets at 11. Uh, David, here's what I wanted to play this piece that we got from Sam Vicini when he was on the show a few weeks ago, and his thoughts on what makes Monk such a special scorer. Well, he's just an incredible shooter, first and foremost. I, you know, he is, at one point earlier this year, over the last decade, he had the highest point per shot uh, metric of any player, like in college basketball, over the last decade when they were guarded. And he's just a tough shot maker. I mean, th- those guys are so valuable. The difference with Monk, though, is is that like, is he a guy that actually makes his teammates better? Uh, is he a guy that's going to help you defensively? He's not really much of a passer from what we've seen so far, but. The scoring abilities might be so volcanic, so uh, explosive that he's a worthwhile player. Like he could, you know, there are people comparing him early in the season to like Stephen Curry because of the way he was shooting the basketball. And that was overstated, I think. Like, but if he's a Clay Thompson type shooter or something like that, like you just can't ignore players that have put on such incredible displays like he has. He drops 49 or something against North Carolina. He's dropped 40 points like two or three times, dropped high 30s a couple times. This guy is just a ridiculous scorer in terms of creating his own shot, either on step backs or uh, just off of the catch, off of screens. 
David, if Malik Monk falls to the Hornets at 11, how fast do they turn in that pick? It should already be in. There should be a card written down right now just in case that happens. I mean, this is a guy we haven't even considered. I haven't considered, Doug, since the draft process started. I think when it looked like the Hornets might be in the lottery towards the end of the season, um, best-case scenario was for them to somehow land with a shot to, to grab Monk just because of the scoring, right? And all the, same, all the stuff that Sam mentioned, the explosive. Uh, I love that volcanic scoring. That was, that was a great uh, description there. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is a guy's perfect fit in my opinion, and uh, probably best player available at that point, too. So, I mean, the best of both worlds, really. Scoring like hot lava. Yeah, I like that <laughs> description. I like that description, right, too. On. And listen, there are few sure things in the draft and because it's it's all a giant crapshoot. We say that all the time, that you should not put, you know, and you're not going to know what these players turn into into a few years down the line anyway. Right. But there are a few sure things in the draft. One of the sure things is Malik Monk's shooting ability along with Lowry Markinen's shooting ability. And uh, who else is like a pure shooter in this draft? You going to go Kennard? Yeah, Kennard. Kennard, pure, yeah. Sh- pure shooting. So you've got those three guys. The one thing that puts Malik Monk over both of those guys, in my opinion, is his... That, shot is his, maker. Well, shot maker, but his athleticism. Yeah. And, and he didn't go inside much to finish at the rim for Kentucky, but a lot of that, I think, had to do with the fact that they're... They didn't have a lot of offensive outside shooting offensive weapons around Monk. So it was guard Monk at the three-point line and then sink everybody else down to make sure that Fox wasn't driving. It just wasn't Monk's role, and the paint was packed. And he's not very big, so he wasn't going to finish well around the rim you know, if in traffic. But yeah. Kimball Walker has shown that if you do space the floor and you prove that you can shoot three-pointers, you're going if you're quick enough and you're athletic enough like Kimba is, you're going to find space and going to be able to finish. So I'm I'm confident in Monk's ability to develop that. And then defensively, again, big question mark, but at the same time, if, if he's a 25, 30 point threat, then right. you're okay with the defense. And can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> there's there's a, there's a large portion of of my being that's just laughing at the fact that we're that, uh, how excited I got from this latest mock draft and the possibility of Monk falling and, and doing all the the breakdowns of this. But he and Kimball Walker in the same backcourt having two shot makers of that ilk together. Um, you know, you look back at especially the the I think it was the lead eight game against Carolina and the tournament. When Justin Jackson pretty much shut him down the whole game, and and that's one of the things. Like at six three, you wish he had a few more inches on his height. But uh, towards the end of that game, he hit two of the toughest shots I've ever seen. Really, with Justin Jackson and another Tar Heel hanging all over him uh, to tie that game. You know, in, in the waning six. Type of guy I've been looking for for several all seasons, and Malik Monk looks to have that. Uh, you know, have that ability and have that desire to have the ball in his hands. And putting him back there with Kemba would be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, tough shot making, I think, a real a real indicator uh, of somebody that has star potential. Just big moments, yeah. can big knock moments. down shots that you go, wait a minute, that shot should not have gone in. That it was, should I not mean, have that, happened. Yeah, the Steph Curry comparisons are are, are not are, are crazy. Oh, pretty sure. But that that type of shot, right? Like that type of no way this is going in, and then it drops. I mean, that's the type of stuff that you just don't see from every player. And and if you see that, you know, you have to take whatever 
blemishes, like you said, on the defensive end or maybe with the height that comes along with that package because, I mean, I think the scoring ability could make him into a special player. I mean, so, Doug, I've got this question. Why the why is he falling? What's what's the what's the deal here? What have you seen? I think it's a couple of. Th- I don't think it's similar to the Noah Vonley situation where people had like one big question about his. I think ability to translate in basketball IQ and that sort of what allowed him to slip down to the Hornets. I think it is a little bit about his one dimensionality, and, and people are a little scared about that and the fact that he's you know six four with a six three wingspan, so he doesn't have those tools that would immediately say okay NBA success immediately. Uh, But I think more than those two things, really, it's other teams falling in love with particular players. So you've seen the Knicks and the Mavericks both be rumored to really be zoning in on Frank Nielakina and then Lowry Markinen with the Minnesota Timberwolves. You've got a lot of heat there. And so I, I think it's just one or, you know, a couple of teams just haven't fallen in love with Malik Monk. But but I think if the Hornets have that opportunity to take Monk at 11, I still don't think it's going to happen. I still think yeah. like, you know, even if uh, the, the, the Mavericks don't get a chance to get Frank Nielakina, I could see them doing it. Like there's just there's just too much upside with Monk for 10 teams to pass on him. But we shall see. All right, let's move on. And David Aldridge is latest article for NBA.com. He recaps the chatter he's hearing around the league. And in it, he writes, the Charlotte Hornets look to be locked in on one of two guards, Duke's Luke Kennard or Louisville's Donovan Mitchell. First, David, how much credence do you lend to this chatter? I mean, as much as any other this time of year, right? I mean, Aldridge is pretty plugged in. It's not like he's guaranteeing that's the pick they're going to make, but I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been slotted for most of the last week in a lot of these mock drafts, as has Kennard, you know, so they, they've kind of been in that slot where the Hornets are picking in a lot of people's eyes, and they've certainly had both of those guys in. We hear they that, you know, the Hornets really like Donovan Mitchell his, and Clifford likes surely his ability on defense, so and Kennard brings the shooting. So, I mean, that, it makes a lot of sense. My one thing with Kennard, and it's funny, we're, mentioned, we're talking about him right after Monk and the shooting, is that because of the lack of shooting in this draft, I think that's, you know, boosted Kennard up a little bit. I, I just don't know that in a, in a draft with a ton of shooters, he's in the lottery. Um, I just think his his, his deficiencies on, on defense and, and some of his athleticism um, – is an eyebrow raiser for me at the Hornets, at least. And we should say Malik Monk has like the standard definition of athleticism, not the Luke Kennard, <laughs> his self-defined, the yeah, right. the new, the new, uh, new era <laughs> new athleticism, new athleticism. Right. Yeah, he has old school athleticism. Malik Monk does. Uh, yeah, I don't know about this. It looked to be locked in. I mean, both of those guys have worked out for the Hornets, but we know that that is almost zero indicator of what they will actually yeah. do on draft night. Noah Vonley did not work out for the Hornets. Uh, Frank Kaminsky did not work out for the Hornets. So you got to be careful with that. Uh, this, to me, almost guarantees they'll select Zach Collins, in my mind. I've already pre-ordered my Collins jersey. That's, that's what Look, I was going to say. Like, it, so, yeah. so Zach Collins did not work out for them, unless I missed that, he right? Not. He has not worked out. He did not. He has not worked out. Um, Monk has not worked out, uh, although that's not totally surprising. Markinen has not worked out. Dennis um, Smith. But they, but they did go to Dennis Smith's workout, I believe, that's right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Chris okay. Um, second, if this is accurate and they have narrowed it down to these two players, what would the debate between Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell come down to in your mind? Oh, that's what I mean. That, I think 
the athleticism thing for me and the two-way play of Donovan Mitchell outweighs to me, I think, what Kennard brings. Even though, like, he's so good on offense and he's very crafty with the ball, I just don't know if that's a guarantee to translate at the next level and if he'll be able to create his shot, much less any offense for other people. Um, and I think the, the concerns on defense are legit. That wingspan is – is non-existent really <laughs> compared to his height. You know, it's like, a, what is he? Six, six and like six, five and change wingspan. So um, I think those concerns are real. The shooting is nice. I mean, that's the one thing they've got to be hanging on to this pick for, but for me, Mitchell gives you the explosiveness. He gives you uh, possibly the ability to knock down some shots, which I think he can improve on. And he gives you the ability to play that combo guard as well and, and guard multiple positions. So for me, I think he just brings more, uh, he can, he can, he can fill in more areas than can Kennard, even though Kennard maybe has the, has the edge with the shooting, pure shooting. Yeah. I think what this comes down to in my mind, because look, they're both intense competitors. Uh, they are both really hard workers. They both have the personality that you associate with this era of Hornets basketball, the kind of guys that they like to bring into this organization. Both guys fit that bill for me. It's do they believe that, uh, Luke Kennard's shooting and playmaking playmaking ability can be all star level, and I think that's what some teams are looking at and going. This is like James Harden esque ability to create offense both for himself and others. Could that eventually develop into an all star talent versus Donovan Mitchell, who almost looks like a guaranteed good role yeah. player? You yeah. know, good, 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 good. Maybe not great. Maybe not all star level at any point. But he's going to be someone like Avery Bradley, who just becomes a vital piece to a team without ever really ascending to that star level. So what do they want to do? Take a chance on a guy who could be an all-star, but also might not be able to be played because of his defensive deficiencies or go for the guaranteed um, really good role player. So I think that's what the debate comes down for me. Uh, Chad Ford is reporting that the Los Angeles Lakers are dangling point guard D'Angelo Russell out in search of a top 12 pick because they are targeting Zach Collins and or Luke Kennard. David, the Hornets have a top 12 pick and both Zach Collins and Luke Kennard could be available there and they need a point guard to play behind (laughs) Kimba Walker. Well, they could also use a combo guard too, right? And I think uh, D'Angelo fits that bill. Yeah, fits that bill. I mean, I think they played him at the two quite a bit, or at least a good bit last year in L.A., right? And I think if Lonzo was going to be there to the Lakers at two, that would probably be the plan there as well. So, I mean, this is this one is kind of interesting, Doug. This one came out, if you went to sleep early last night, you probably missed this one breaking, right? I mean, this is the, the, <laughs> the third on our list of rumors so far. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely think the Hornets should be talking to someone about this, to be honest with you, because – that would up their talent level. I think Russell is still a young guy who can who can improve. Obviously, they liked a lot about him, um, you know, a year or so ago. The Lakers, that is, and, and I think overall in the league, he's got a pretty good reputation, or just on the court, on the court play. He's had some, he's had the makeups often, but you know, combo guard, bigger guy who can play with Kemba and back him up. Um, you know, could be groomed into a two. So, I mean, that's that's pretty appealing, Doug. And, and and to know what you're getting right there at 11, I mean, we talk about how many question marks there, there, there could be there for the Hornets, no matter who they who they select there. I mean, D'Angelo would certainly, you know, fill some things in for him. Yeah, there was a lot of talk at the Rich Cho, uh, the general manager of the Hornets, Rich Cho, his press conference before the draft about how much uh, they missed 
the size and the skill that Jeremy Lin brought to this team two seasons ago. Well, D'Angelo Russell is 6'5", 200 pounds, so he checks both of those, well, one of those boxes in terms of size. I guess the question is, does he check that skill box? And and I think he does, absolutely. I mean, he, yeah. I mean the upside for him is, is still uh, there. He's going into his third season, averaged 15.6 points, 4.8 assists, and 3.5 rebounds. I compared his numbers last season to Jeremy Lin's year with the Hornets. And the numbers are very similar. Russell only averaged two more minutes per game, but obviously had more touches, had more usage, had more opportunity as as a starter, two guard. Sometimes Responsibility, play- too. I mean, face, yeah. almost the face of that, albeit young, franchise out in L.A. Yeah, and, and he also shot the ball better from three than Jeremy Lin did. So mm-hmm. you, I think you could plug him in. The question is, would he want to be plugged in. I think would he want, would he be willing to take a six man role in Charlotte in Los Angeles? There are already questions looming about his professionalism, his maturity. According to Kevin Ding of BleacherReport.com, he butted, you know, he looked in the past, he's butted heads with Byron Scott and we all kind of gave him a pass because he was a rookie and Byron Scott wanted the kids to wear short shorts Run free throw line, pick and rolls, mow Get the damn lawn, like you know, yeah. So we gave him a pass, but if he's not getting along with Luke Walton, which is what the report from Kevin Ding of Bleacher Report sort of indicated, not sure how he would do under Steve Clifford. I guess that's the concern for me. And we should say, right? We should have said off the top, this rumor doesn't appear to be coming from the Lakers. That's what Chad Ford said on a on a radio interview later on that this was the kind but of rumor makes, that we talk yeah. about all the time where this is floated out by other teams for whatever reason, to drive down D'Angelo Russell's value, to maybe drive up the value of Luke Kennard and Zach Collins. Who knows? Sure. It makes sense, though. I mean, especially if they're going to go Lonzo. But, yeah, I think you could slot him in there starting, Doug, to be honest with you. I mean, if this went down like that, I think they could they could fit him right in there beside Kemba. Um Maybe not right at first, but I think that's uh, that would that would be the thinking in my eyes is that you may eventually grim him to be that starter at two. But regardless, yeah, I mean it's it's rumor season, and this one is a pretty juicy one though. I, I think, like I said, the Hornets should should be talking. They, I believe the report indicated they had reached out to two lottery teams already. You know who knows, <laughs> but but uh, I think and I think the Hornets are going to be fielding calls from everyone. So uh, something to keep an eye on, I, I suppose. I mean, it feels like man, it feels like this stuff is not going to settle down till till draft night. If then, all right. For more analysis on what the Hornets are thinking on draft night, what they should be thinking, what they might be thinking, let's kick it to Rick Bunnell, beat writer for the Charlotte Hornets for the Charlotte Observer. So, Rick, the pre-draft workouts have wrapped for the Charlotte Hornets. Of the players that have visited, who has impressed you the most? Well, as you know, um, we only get to see this little smidgen at the end, and it's usually people uh, taking three-pointers. Um, so, you know, you don't get a feel for, uh, for instance, the the three-on – watching the three-on-three three would probably be the most valuable thing, and you don't get a chance to do that. And that's perfectly fine because, frankly – uh, I think the Hornets are more accommodating to the media in this pre-draft run-up than most NBA teams are. Um, I'll tell you one thing that <laughs> I found really, really interesting is I had heard about Donovan um, Mitchell's incredible 
a wingspan. It's not an urban legend. It was this is a six foot three guy, and it's just fascinating when you see this guy in person and you realize that his arms come down basically to his calves. Uh, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a unique body type, and it will be interesting how that gets employed defensively in the next level. How important do you think the workout process is for this franchise, maybe relative to other franchises in determining a draft pick? Is it is it all that is it all that important? Do they put a lot of stock into it? Um, one of the things I really respect about Steve Clifford is he stays in his lane. And what I mean by that is usually when in the NBA when these draft workouts take on an importance that they shouldn't, it's because the coaching staff watches an hour of somebody live and um, that somehow becomes more important than scouts spending hundreds of hours researching somebody. Uh, Steve is much more involved when it comes to free agency and trades than he is with a draft. I'm not saying that he, that they aren't interested in his input. They very much are, but by that, I mean, you know, I think in this organization that that uh, that workout, that job interview, I think it's like the last piece as opposed to most as opposed to anything like the most important one. What are the top two or three options that you see for the Charlotte Hornets at that 11 spot if they remain? And that's a, that's a big if. But if they do stay in that 11 spot, who do you like there? Um, <laughs> of course, the problem there is you're going to have to tell me who the 10 taken before them are. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, exactly. But, but, um, I will say this, I mean, I, let me give you a couple of roadmaps. That's probably the most realistic way to answer your question. Um, I think if any of those five, uh, point guards somehow manages to slip to 11, and I don't think that'll be the case. I think it's probably a pretty easy decision. I mean, specifically if the French pro somehow managed to last to the 11th pick. If I were the Charlotte Hornets, I would sprint with that card, with that kid's name in his hands, their hands. Um, having said that, and I, I'm, I'm curious about your opinion here, would, would you agree with me that it's probably a remote possibility that any of those point guards make it that long? It's going to be very difficult uh, because yeah. I think Dennis Smith, it would be tough to get past both a lot of it's going to have to do with Sacramento, you know, because they've got five and ten. What do they do? Do they trade one of those picks? And does that team that trades up end up needing a point guard? Or do they take a point guard at fifth and then uh, decide not to take a point guard at tenth? Uh, that could happen. Or you could have a Minnesota situation from 2009 where they take two point guards and uh, thin it out even more. Uh, tough situation. I'm interested in why you like uh, Frank Nilakina because I think a lot of the concern around him revolves around his ability to run an offense and the small sample size that they've had uh, to look at with Frank uh, being in, in pro ball, but also his under 19 tournament. Boy, um, actually I have a friend who scouts in Europe who says exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. He thinks that he thinks that uh, Neil Kina's biggest strength is his ability to run a team that he sees the court uh, just beautifully that he's already way ahead of what you would think a 19 year old would be as far as um, seeing angles in the court and setting up other people for, for easy shots. To be honest with you, I think what you described much more applies to, to Dennis Smith. I mean, we know he's a, he's an incredibly talent, talented person physically, but I don't think we saw an awful lot at NC State to suggest that he's ready to go out there and try to be Jason Kidd. 
Uh, interesting, interesting thoughts there on both Dennis Smith and Frank Nilakina. One guy that you've uh, been a little high on, Bam Adebayo out of Kentucky. You say he might be the the wild card that a lot of people haven't been considering here, maybe for the eleventh pick. What do you like out of Bam? Well, I I just know that he is in their plans. I, I knew a few days before he worked out here that he was going to work out here, and I knew that that wasn't some courtesy. I mean, they they brought him in because they're intrigued by him, and they're hmm. intrigued by him because you know the guy's got a Dwight Howard kind of body. Uh, uh, and and the the thing that surprised me, I I sure it surprised you too, and you know you don't. It's not a prerequisite for an NBA center to make three pointers, but his stroke on his shot was exceptional. Now, you know, it's only of so much importance how somebody does in a drill with nobody guarding them, but they they make everybody, no matter what position they play, do that three pointer drill at the end where where there's a semicircle and you go to five spots on the floor. And he's got this absolutely beautiful stroke that you wouldn't have been had any reason to see at Kentucky because it would have been pointless for them to have him out there. But um, that was quite a surprise to me. I, I I counted and he made 13 of 25 NBA threes, and they he they weren't just managing to go in. He has a beautiful stroke, and I thought, wow, that's sure something you wouldn't anticipate. You've been pretty low on the idea of trading back in this draft, despite the draft's depth. Why Why specifically do, do you think that trading back might be a mistake? Um, to be honest with you, if you look through history, I've said this for years and years, um, I think that there is a very distinct difference between the NFL draft and the NBA draft in the sense that I think that it makes a lot of sense in the NBA and the NFL sometimes to exchange quality for quantity. You know what I'm saying? Is mm-hmm. trade trading down, getting extra picks. But that's I think that's much more representative of, of the sport where, you know, <laughs> there are, you know, 22 starters plus, you know, a bunch of specialists. Um in the NBA, you know, you're I I'm never I'm not saying it's never a good idea to trade down. As a matter of fact, I think that the the Celtics, because of their situation as an already established team probably did the right thing um, in working out this deal with Philadelphia. But by and large, trading quality for quantity has not worked very well in the past in the NBA. Um, To be honest with you, the only example I can come up with is the Richard Jefferson trade many years ago. And um, by and like I said, by and large, the rule of thumb among NBA general managers, a bunch of them I've talked to over the years, is be very wary of trading out of a lottery pick because, you know, you, you can go, you know, 15, 16, 17 picks into an NBA draft and not really see a whole lot of difference between that guy at 20 and that guy at 30. That's why, for instance, I didn't have a problem with the Hornets trading the rights to the 22nd pick for an, for an established player in Marco Bellinelli. Yeah, and, and you wonder this season, because the Hornets have locked up their their starting unit, they're comfortable with that starting unit, you, but they have multiple holes to fill on that bench, as we heard, or, or multiple roles to fill, as we heard from Rich Cho in that press conference, and you wonder if it's a situation where uh, they maybe <clears throat> feel a little bit more comfortable trading back because they do have, if they could gain multiple assets, they could contribute next season. Um, 
again, I would I would rather have them take what they think is the best option at eleven than trade down to twenty and and get something else because what you know I, I I don't know what that would be and I'd be I I'd be leery of what you were actually getting to be honest and by the way so you brought up depth I think that's a very significant issue um, the numbers really really back that up uh, if you look at the collective plus minus of the of the starters and obviously they weren't on the court all that much this season because of injuries if you look at the collective plus minus when the, the five people who were supposed to start at the beginning of the season were on the court together it was very very good when when he when St- when Cliff had to break up that lineup, it got very dicey, very fast. How crucial is it for the Charlotte Hornets to really nail this draft? I mean, how much pressure is on the front office right now to really get this draft right? Um, I will put it this way: I don't know if the eleventh pick is a critical thing so much as I would say doing something in the off season in general is a crucial thing. Uh, they, they don't have a lot, as we all know, they don't have a lot of options because they're going into the off season, you know, just above the cap, which, you know, means they, you know, they can't do anything significant in free agency other than use the middle level exception. And you heard the term mid-level means you're getting a person who is somewhere in the 50, you know, to 40 percentile of the league. That's not going to be a game changer. What I'm, I I guess what I'm getting at is the thing they, you know, certainly they need to draft well. They haven't drafted particularly well, but what they've done well is trades and, I, you know, they, they've been pretty good at making small surgical moves involving veteran players. I, I this is a very, I would agree with you that this is a very, very important offseason. And if things don't go well, you need to really, you got to wonder if, if next uh, uh, May there would, might be some really significant changes in the basketball staff if, if something doesn't get better. The Charlotte Hornets are a unique uh, in a unique position within the lottery because uh, they seem to feel like they are one, two pieces away from, from not only getting back to the playoffs, but also winning a first-round series. I mean, how much do you think that mentality, that, that desire to, to get to a certain place will affect their decision on on June 22nd, as opposed to maybe another franchise that is looking three, four years down the road? Um, I don't think that they would draft somebody simply because they thought that guy filled a hole if they thought that he that person was significantly um, less valuable in a general sense than somebody else who's still available. Uh, because, and, and, you know, one thing they've kind of got going for them is as far as if if depth is the single biggest problem, um, I would say that depth at point guard is the biggest need they could fill. But I would think that anybody who they feel comfortable about the idea of actually playing, of actually cracking the rotation um, next season is the best use of the 11th pick. One last question. If they do decide to go point guard, if a point guard is available with that 11th pick, uh, you said that that will probably mean the Ramon Sessions player option doesn't uh, get exercised. 
Um, why, why do you think that? Why, why would they uh, maybe not go with a veteran leader to pair with uh, that other po- that point guard that they select? <laughs> How often does Rich actually tip his hand? Yeah, he's he's mentioned three on three different occasions publicly that uh, he and the organization are disappointed in the point guard play. Um, Ramon um, Ramon's scheduled to make six million dollars next season, and it's entirely up to the Hornets whether that that uh, salary is guaranteed. Um, honestly, I think they're looking for an excuse not to pick up that option. Great analysis from Rick Bunnell of the Charlotte Observer. Rick, thanks so much for taking the time out. Busy time of year for you and, and for all of us. Thanks so much. Happy to. You ask, you ask really good questions, and I think that's a lost art in society. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. All right, David, that final question was your question. You wanted to know about Ramon yeah. Sessions. What do you think of the answer? I think it tells us a lot more. I mean, you and I, at least I was wondering if – they picked that point guard. Would that be an indication that they may actually hang on to Ramon, given Clifford's maybe lack of desire to go with two younger point guards? But it sounds like they definitely. Oh, from last season. I think so. we kind of we kind of lost you there, D. What'd you, you say? Got me? Yeah, we got you. you. Got me. I got you. Um, it definitely feels like they they're ready to move on a little bit from that contract and Ramon Sessions last year. So that answers the question for me. That was just my concern. Not my concern, just my curiosity, drafting another young point guard to pair him with Kimball Walker and a young Briante Weber as well. And he had some thoughts on Bam Adebayo. He was getting a little insider info. It sounds like that the Hornets are interested, intrigued. I don't know what you want to call it, whatever whatever you want to call it, in Bam Adebayo. What do you think that the Hornets see in Bam? I think I they mean, see. I, here's what I they, think. They, they I know. I know you're down big, on him. So let me step guy, in here. I, yeah, can, I think they see physicality. It's yeah. a toughness. You know, they were 0 and 9 in overtime games last season. They they had a a, a, a bad record in in close games, and a lot of that came down to I think physicality, toughness, and, and a little bit of intangible, a little bit of like guts kind of thing. You know, and and, and I think they see that. It in Bam Adebayo is a guy that isn't afraid to get down there and make some contact. And That's for great. that, like, I, I get it. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't necessarily yeah. get it at 11, but I no, no, get no, no, no. what they're seeing. And it may indicate what they look for maybe in free agency with That's, that mid-level that- exception. That's what I was going to say. Go get that somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, honestly, go get that somewhere else. You can find a guy who can be, I mean, look, Jeff Adrian was that type of guy, right? They got mm-hmm. him. Uh, I don't, where did he, where did Jeff Adrian come from? He, was he on the bench or somewhere? Or did they bring him kind of in off oh. of, uh, I will look this a up. 10, a 10, a 10 day or something like that, I believe. But anyway, I don't think in this draft you bypass all the skill players that are, that are possibly there. And the, and the depth in this draft to get a guy that you just think is going to bring toughness and who has admittedly, I think a long way to go on the offensive side of the ball, even though he stepped out and hit like, I don't know, 52% of his threes the other day in that shoot around. I need to see a lot more than that uh, to, to, to commit certainly the 11th pick, but even honestly for me, a first round pick at this point, because I just think there's too many other guys. And there's too many other areas they need to fill in with some skill and with talent to uh, just place all their chips on the, on the, you know, the toughness table. Jeff Adrian was a call up 
for the Bobcats yeah. from the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. Yes. Which will segue perfectly into what we're going to talk about here in a second, two-way contracts. But first, I have to mention uh, Rick Bennell and I's slight disagreement. He's, a, he's, he's very high on Frank Nielakina. I'm, I'm less high on him. I think it's a moot point, as he, as he said, because I think he's going to end up going to the Knicks at eight or the Mavericks at nine. Uh, but if he does slip by both of those teams for whatever reason and is available to the Charlotte Hornets at 11, I'm just not as high on him. And we talk, I talked, you know, you sort of heard us disagree about his, um, about his ability to run an offense. And I think he's let – me, let me clarify this. I think he's a very smart basketball player, and that's sort of universally accepted among scouts. And, and you see that in his tape as well. He doesn't make just sort of uh, mind-numbingly boneheaded decisions at the point guard position. But his turnover percentage is what scares yeah. me, David. Um, I think that he, it was really high, even in, in even when he played well in that in that uh, under eighteen tournament. His turnover percentage was at twenty two point eight. That's really high. And when I look at his tape, I see these passes that he makes, and and they just barely find the man. And, and yes, I th- they do. And I think like, okay, in the NBA, that's a turnover. Like it's just, yeah, it's too right. lax. It's too, there's yeah. his, and it, it, I think his handle could stand to be tighter. I'm just saying that it, it, if you're the Hornets and you need a guy to immediately run your second unit offense, I'm just not sure that Frank Nielakina fits the bill of what the Hornets would be looking for in that. And all that to say, I don't think he'll make it to the Hornets. And if he does, I think they'll take him anyway because, you know, that wingspan, that defense, that upside will be very, very tough to pass up. Just those are my concerns. I just wanted to voice my opinion. Valid. That's my opinion. Valid. It's very valid when you watch that tape. It's tough for me to scout college players, much less uh, European guys. But, yeah, you look at some of those passes that he tries to sneak in there. And like you said, he even has trouble beating some of those guys off the dribble, right? Like turning the corner on some of the defenders uh, in, in the European league. So you have to think in the NBA, those guys are going to be bigger, stronger, faster, quicker. It's just going to be tougher. So he'll learn, but right like right now, yeah, he's having trouble in those areas. All right, these have been jam-packed shows. We're, we're going into 45 minutes here, but that's, that's what Draft Week is all about, supersized shows. Before we go, we wanted to introduce a term you will probably hear during draft coverage on Thursday night, two-way contracts. It's a new tool for teams that was developed in the last collective bargaining agreement. So first, let's answer this question. Hey, what are two-way contracts? We'll go back to Sam Vicini, who explains in his latest article for Vice Sports, quote, teams will be able to sign and carry up to two players with less than four years of league experience who will spend most of their time in the D-League, but also can flex up to the NBA for up to 45 days and be paid accordingly for that time. So, David, if they do flex into the NBA, if they play one, two, three, four days, whatever, they will be paid according to the days that they are called up. The important thing here, David, is the money will not count against the cap and the players won't count towards the 15 regular you know, roster spots. So how does this affect things for both teams and players? It's interesting. This is uh, first of all, if you, you have not read this um, post by Sam, it's, it's fantastic. I suggest going to read it because he hits it from a lot of different angles, but the main angle for me, Doug was the agents angle, which a lot of this comes mm-hmm. at from uh, in, in the article. And it just hit me again, how much control the agents have over these players, especially obviously the unsigned guys. And they didn't really love it. I think for the team, though, it, it essentially gives you like two extra roster spots, like you said, 
doesn't count against your cap and allows you to put a hold on some of these guys that, Hey, if you send them down and they blow up, you know, um, another team can't go get them. Now that can be good and bad. I think Sam did a great job of highlighting some of the pros and cons of this two-way contract. Well, and that's why the agents don't like it because it essentially, right. you know, it locks you into a team. And, and if yep. you were to say, so, so what normally it, it, happens, what normally happens with a lot of these second rounders is they will sign their second round tender, which is, which sounds delicious, but it is non-guaranteed. So they would, you know, normally you, you go to training camp, you sign your training camp tender, and then you get cut and then you either decide to go to their or, or they, they invite you to their D-League team or you can go and explore other D-League teams or go to Europe or whatever option you want to, to keep your dream alive. But with the two-way contract, you're locked into their D-League system and no one else can call you up. And uh, you, have to be, you have to wait to get called up. And if you don't get called up, you essentially make the same amount of money as if you had gotten cuts and gone to play in the D League and been available to every team. So now if you play on right. a team on a two-way contract that has, you know, three really solid uh shooting guards and you're a shooting guard, all of a sudden you're stuck. And I think that's where T- the players and agents are going to be really careful about signing two-way contracts and Vicini does mention that only a fraction of the second round players you see get drafted on Thursday will opt to sign these two-way contracts. Yeah, because they could use it for um, also guys that call from Europe, right? Like obviously yes. it doesn't have to be these 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 draft picks that get two way contracts. Um, the other thing uh, is from the team perspective, though, that he mentions, like if what do you say, sixty of these top players, right, are locked into two way contracts, that essentially eliminates the rest of them, you know, access to the rest of them for teams, right? So that was one of the things that agents are trying to spend. You basically taken the top level of talent from the D League off the table for, for the other teams. So it's interesting. I think it's, it was an effort to kind of get a little more money into the players pockets and a little more certainty um, for guys, not maybe not wanting to go the college route, but not wanting to go to Europe and still make a, a decent living in, in uh, the States and play basketball and have a more direct shot to the NBA. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I, that's the other thing, Doug, I don't think anyone knows exactly how it's going to play out or how well it's going to work. I mean, if the agents have any say, it doesn't sound like it's going to go, you know, too well to start. Well, and and I think that that won't happen. You won't see all of the top talent do this because they are going to want that flexibility. Uh, But for example, the Hornets have their own D league team in Greensboro, but last season they opted to go after Johnny O'Brien and Briante Weber who were uh, D league all-stars and, you know, were playing for other teams, but weren't, signed to contracts with the the teams that they were playing under. So, right. yeah, I mean, you, you have to take that into consideration. The Hornets have certainly taken advantage of of sniping really good players who were yeah. not guaranteed to their teams. Uh, it will hurt some teams. It will hurt some players. And I think they'll 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 figure some things. They always figure things out. They always with this with these CBA things. Every the agents always figure out some loophole. The teams always figure out some loophole. Uh, so this this will. This will develop, is what I'm saying. I think it's a step in the right direction, though, because you do want to get these guys more It gets them more money. I think maximum, if they do get called up for 45 days, which is the max, then if you are on those two-way contracts, you can make almost 280 grand, as opposed to the max, if you were to get cut and just sign in the D-League, that's 75 grand. 75, yeah. Yeah, so you're getting a lot more money. 
Step in the right direction. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Make sure you're subscribed to us on YouTube so you can uh, watch us uh, 7.30 on Thursday night. We will begin our live draft special. It will be Hornets-centric draft coverage with uh, special guest analysis and uh, what the Hornets need. We'll also talk a little bit about free agency. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.